Good morning. It's a real joy to be here with you at Stone Church in Meadville. Um, my name is Harold Blair, as you have heard. I'm a retired pastor. Uh, my last pastorate, I served in Kingsley United Methodist Church on the lower west side of Erie, and I spent uh, 10 wonderful years with those uh, people, and I still hold them very dear. Uh, we are currently, my wife and I, attending South Harbor Creek United Methodist Church, and it's uh, fun to sit in the pew most Sundays. I have some uh, warm ties and memories to the city of Meadville. Uh, my father was born and raised uh, just north of Shakeleyville on two family farms off of Route 19. And uh, his last pastorate was Mosertown Road, the Wesleyan Methodist Church on Mosertown Road. And in fact, he was buried out of the Wesleyan Methodist Church here in Meadville. And uh, indeed is buried just outside of Shakeleyville alongside of my mother. So I have some wonderful, wonderful ties um, to this city. I used to hear my father tell stories of how he would bring in butter and eggs and he had a route in the city of Meadville where he would deliver butter and eggs. And um, he's old enough that I know none of you bought butter and eggs from him. So at any rate, it is wonderful to be with you. I'm reading from Psalm 46, and that is why I requested a mighty fortress is our God. Uh, you probably won't be humming that in the shower this week, but it is a wonderful hymn full of some marvelous truth. Reading from Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Aside from the 23rd Psalm, I suppose that this is a favorite psalm to many, many people. It is a psalm, uh, a psalm that inspired a very troubled monk by the name of Martin Luther hundreds of years ago to pen the words to our opening hymn this morning, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. 
He wrote this during the 10 months that he spent uh, escaping for his life the opposition to the Reformation, and he had taken refuge in the Wartburg Castle. Uh, I, I found it interesting that Berg, B-U-R-G, in the German language, uh, literally means refuge. So he took refuge in a place whose very name, in part, meant refuge. And this is a large, extremely large uh, castle outside of Eisenach, Germany, and it is magnificent in its architecture and its structure, and it is almost impregnable by outside forces. And so he spent uh, 10 months there, not only in refuge and security, but in gaining a new perspective on what the future held for him and his ministry. There is another story told, and it is a true story, about Psalm 46. On one of the islands off the coast of Scotland, it was the tradition during World War I, as the townspeople would gather to see their sons embark on the first leg of their journey to the war, they would sing the words of this Psalm 46. They were reminding their young soldiers as they left for war that God was going to be their uh, uh, foxhole of refuge and that God would always be present with them and be their shelter and protection from the attacks of the enemy. Scholars on this psalm differ widely. Big surprise, huh? Uh, Scholars, some scholars say that this psalm is pre-exile. And other scholars say, no, 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 that's foolishness, that can't be. The word for God here is Elohim, and that was not used in pre-exile times. I don't think it really matters, and we'll just allow the scholars to uh, combat against one another. But what I would say to you is that this psalm describes many instances in the life of the children of Israel in which they found refuge in their God. One of those instances that many scholars feel is the background of Psalm 46. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 19. I always love to do this with my people. In a message, I like to assign homework. And I would encourage you this week to read the portions of 2 Kings 18, 19, and 20. And you'll see the historic background, the possible historic background of this psalm. But this psalm, according to 2 Kings chapter 19, talks about a time when the Assyrian Empire was at its height, and it had conquered the entire known world, including the cities of Judea. And now this mighty army of 200,000 plus had laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, the city that is mentioned in This Psalm 46 is none other than the city of Jerusalem. And though it was set high upon a hill and uh, withstood many attack, the one thing that would, would alter Jerusalem's course again and again was when the enemy decided to lay siege to it. And so in this instance, as we read Psalm 46, we discover that this vast host of the Assyrian army has entirely surrounded the city of Jerusalem. The noise alone of these troops seemingly makes the earth to shake. 
The psalmist said that the mountains were shaking and the seas were shaking because the mountains under the sea were shaking. We need to understand that to the ancients, this was critical because in the ancients' mind, the mountains held the dome of the sky in place. And not only that, the mountains held the land in place, which in turn held the sea in place. And so the whole order of nature was dependent upon the stability of the mountains. And the psalmist said that things were so bad from the Assyrian attack and siege that the very foundations of earth itself were shaking. And yet if you read in 2 Kings 18, 19, and 20, you will discover that God did a miraculous thing. That during the night, the angel of God visited the Assyrian troops and slaughtered 185,000 of them, causing the balance of the troops to flee away from Jerusalem and out of the land of Judea and back to their homes in total defeat. So Psalm 46 becomes a song of celebration. It is a song that reminds us that God is always with his people in spite of the circumstances that we face. Several times in this psalm, we read where God is our refuge and strength. The Lord of hosts is with us. Not once, but twice the psalmist makes this statement. And he reminds us that God is always present with us, no matter what kind of a siege we may be facing. The psalmist not only reminds us that God is always with us, but he reminds us that God never changes. Our God is immutable. Our God never changes. The Hebrew writer put it this way. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so God is one who is with us in all circumstances, and he never changes us. But the psalmist here introduces a symbol that is most reassuring and impressive. In verse 4, he says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There is no known river that flows through Jerusalem, and so it is thought that this is in reference, reference to a special aqueduct, underground aqueduct, that King Hezekiah had built years before. And it reached out under the ground to the springs in the surrounding hillsides and brought a constant fresh stream of water into the city of Jerusalem. And so in spite of no one being allowed to leave the city and no one entering the city, the city always had a fresh supply of water, life-sustaining water. And yet in spite of all of this, we have to assume that the children of Israel there within the city of Jerusalem were indeed under siege. They indeed, under the pressure and the noise of the enemy that surrounded them on four sides, they tended to forget the presence of Almighty God. They tended to forget the presence of this life-giving water. 
They became oblivious to the presence of God and, and found themselves living in a spiritual and almost a physical desert. Joseph Campbell, who's a professor of literature and uh, whose writings, uh, do we have any Star Wars fans here this morning? Any Star Wars fans? No? Okay. You're too ashamed to, uh, I see one hand way back there. Thank you. And another one. Thank you. All right, well, we have at least two that will admit that they're fans of Star Wars. Joseph Campbell's writing inspired, in part, the Star Wars series. And I want you to hear something he says about the vast wasteland that we tend to live in because we have an enemy who lays siege to our souls. Much of the time, he said, we live wasteland lives. All too many of us, he said, are just plain baffled. We're wandering in the wasteland without any sense of where the water is. The sources that make things green and alive. And that describes, I think, all too often you and I. If we were to say anything about the last year and a half, I think we would say that we at times feel like we are a people under siege. We are a people that are facing an enemy that we have never quite faced before. An invisible, insidious enemy that is so powerful and so destructive and seemingly resists our efforts to overcome it. And so we feel like we're under siege and we allow ourselves to live in a wasteland uh, where we don't know where the real water is and where the true presence of God is to be found. The harder that we try to deal with this siege, sometimes the harder it becomes. Life itself has taken on a pace that can lay siege to our spirits and to our soul. You know, I'm going to confess, I'm an old man. And I know I'm old for a number of reasons. The mirror is the first one. But secondly, I know I'm old because of how I look at modern living and the pace of technology. I enjoy technology like anyone else, but I also become very frustrated by it. When I have to spend a half hour trying to figure out a simple procedure on my phone, I become very frustrated. When I don't find on my computer screen with a click what I want to see immediately, I become frustrated. For Pete's sake, when the light stays red too long, I become frustrated. The pace of modern life, I think, lays siege to our spirits and to our souls. And it's a subtle thing. It's also centrifugal. That is, it causes our lives to spin away from the center that they naturally find in God. The crushing demands of modern life are such that we're just in an uproar within ourselves often. And we don't admit it to each other. We have our Sunday morning facade that we carefully wear, but long about Wednesday or Thursday, the siege begins to take hold on our souls and our spirit. Am I speaking in Greek this morning? I'm preaching to myself. You're welcome just to listen in. 
Let me illustrate this centrifugal effect in our lives with a very simple illustration. And yes, I do know how washing machines work, ladies. I do know how dryers work. I do know how to do laundry. And fortunately, my wife isn't here this morning to either yay or nay that. But you all know what you find when you lift the lid of the washing machine after the final spin. You find the clothes neatly folded in piles, correct? I, I take it no. What do you find when you lift that lid after the cycle, spin cycle is over? Well, you find a bit of a mess. The clothes are in an ill-defined, undefinable, undescribable mass, and they're stuck all around the tub of the washing machine. And there's nothing in the center. Or is there? What is still in the center, folks, after the spin cycle? This is deep stuff this morning. What's in the spin cycle after? What's in the center? I heard it. It's an agitator. Yeah, an agitator. Should have had you all mic so that you could speak up. You didn't know that this was going to be a question and answer session. Yes, the agitator is still there. And what a picture sometimes of our lives. The outside forces that lay siege to our soul. The things that may be legitimate but which the enemy of our soul illegitimately hijacks and takes advantage of. These forces tend to make us centrifugal. They, they reach the center of our lives and our lives become indescribable. We're not sure what this mass we call life really is all about. Well, so far this has been pretty encouraging, huh? What is the answer then to this dilemma? What is the answer to when the enemy of our souls lays siege to us and flaunts his power and causes us to forget who it is that resides within our souls? The answer is found in verse 10 of this psalm. Be still. Hush. Do you ever say to your kids, hush up? You know, we were never allowed in our good Wesley Methodist church home uh, and, and church to say shut up. That just was out of, but we could say hush. And I got told hush a lot. Imagine that. I was told to hush a lot. Now God through the psalmist is saying to us, if we are ever to figure out the siege of the enemy, the attacks of the enemy, if we're ever to overcome them, the first thing we have to do is hush. Be quiet. Be still. And, and this isn't hush in the sense of going into a meditative trance. But it's hush in the sense of quit your struggling. Quit my struggling. Lay down your arms. Let God fight our battles for us. Let God deal with the besieging enemy. Because that's why he lives within us. Hush means to stop or throw down our weapons, depend upon God instead of depending upon ourselves and our own wisdom. When we become still, it is then that we can hear the voice of God. Remember the prophet Elijah of old? 
He was feeling really sorry for himself. He was besieged on all sides of himself. He was hidden way back in the depths of a cave and talk about depression and anything else you want to throw out there, that would describe Elijah. But the Spirit of God moved him to go to the mouth of the cave and when he went to the mouth of the cave, he saw a wind and a fire and earthquakes. But God wasn't in them. And then it said, as he was still at the mouth of the cave, he heard a still, small voice. And it was the voice of God, reminding him that he was with him, and he was his refuge. The story is told of a young man who suddenly and unexpectedly lost a job that he loved. He went to his old pastor for some consolation and guidance. And he paced frantically back and forth across the pastor's study while the old pastor just sort of looked at him somewhat bemused. The young man said, Pastor, I beg God to say something to me, to help me. Tell me, Pastor, why doesn't God answer me? The old preacher who was across the room at his desk spoke something in reply, but it was so hushed, it was indistinguishable. So the young man walked over close to the desk, and he said, what did you say, pastor? And the old pastor repeated himself, but this time it was barely a whisper. Finally, the young man put his head right down against the old pastor's head at the back of his chair. And he said, sorry, I didn't hear you. And the old pastor quietly said, God sometimes whispers, and so we move closer to him in order that we can hear. God sometimes speaks in a still, small voice when we're under siege, and it's only when we become still, it's only when we hush, It's only when we quit our strivings and our anguish and lay them aside that we hear the still, sweet voice of God. Be still, it says, and know I am God. Folks, this was big news to the Israelites. For any time they heard the I am, they knew it was talking about God. God had told Moses, When people ask you who sent you, tell them I am who I am has sent you. And so when they heard this, be still and know that I am God. They knew that indeed God was with them and God was their refuge. So let me ask you this. Is it easy to hush and be still? Is it easy to get quiet before God? Is it easy in our lives to make a habit out of being still before God? Because it would seem to me that what the psalmist here is talking about is what the founder of our church, John Wesley, spoke about when he talked about the means of grace, the means of bringing God's grace into our lives. And he said there's two types, two ways to bring his grace into our lives. There are the works of piety, 
the individual works, and there are the works of mercy. Putting it very, very simply this way, we have to be before we can do. We have to be before we can do. And sometimes as a church, I think we've gotten the cart ahead of the horse. You know, the thing I love about United Methodist, and the reason I'm a United Methodist, is our works of mercy. They're unbelievable. But we need to understand that the works of mercy must be built upon the foundation, the basics of private prayer and scripture reading and time spent in stillness before God. Is it easy to do this on a daily basis? No, it is not. Richard Bowles wrote an interesting book called What Color Is Your Parachute? And in it, he told the true story of a man in England who had a three-story house. And he went to the city council and he wanted to just totally demolish the house and build a new one in its place. And they informed them that according to local codes and so forth and so on, he couldn't do it. And so they were really opposed to this man and, and they watched him carefully like hawks. So he went, the story says, and he put jacks under the second floor and he completely rebuilt the first floor. Then he put jacks between the first floor and the third floor and he completely rebuilt the second floor. Finally, he totally rebuilt the third floor. But at no time did he demolish the whole house. He did it in increments. He did it in small steps. Folks, if we're going to learn the discipline of regularly being still before God, we're going to have to do it incrementally. I want to say to you this morning that if you do not have the practice of daily prayer and scripture reading, don't try to read the entire book of Genesis or Revelation the first day. Don't try to set your clock and pray for an hour because we will fail. But if you'll start out by maybe taking five minutes and do that for a week and then maybe 10 minutes, yeah, 10 minutes, do it incrementally. Be like the wise man in England that rebuilt his house under the nose and the opposition of the city council, but did it so that it was successful. Because as we begin to try to be still, as we begin to try to recenter ourselves in God as our refuge, rest assured that the enemy of our souls will fight us. I have found the best way to organize my day and my life is to try to pray. Because when I begin to pray, all of a sudden the mind is stimulated and I think I need to do this, I need to go there, I need to call this person, I need to take care of this, the yard needs mowed, the flowers need trimmed. It's endless. And so we build it incrementally. We learn to take time to be still before God so that he can speak to us. Do we sometimes feel like life is spinning out of control? Hush. Be still. Know that I am God. 
Do we feel besieged by the noise and the bustle of modern life? Hush. Be still and know that I am God. Do we feel emptiness within? Hush. Be still and know that I am God. Worse yet, do we feel inner agitation? Hush. Be still and know that I am God. Amen.